Patriots fans, and welcome to another edition of CLNS Radio's Patriots Beat. I am your host, Jeff Kane, at Boston Fat Guy on Twitter. Joining me, as always, is Bob Snowden, at Snowden Bob. Of course, you can follow along on CLNS at, at CLNS Radio, and of course, the broadcast itself at Patriots Beat, and follow us on Facebook, www.facebook.com slash CLNS fans. Big news coming, not only with the Patriots, but with CLNS. This is our first broadcast on our new format. We have our own iTunes link and our own Stitcher link. So check it out. If you have a smartphone, you can download either Stitcher or iTunes and search Patriots Beat. You'll find us right there. Please do subscribe, please do rate, and please do give us a feedback because it's the only way we can grow and grow together. Well, the New England Patriots are growing and minusing lots of players cut yesterday. Uh, among them were no real huge surprises. I guess Steve Buharnis was my biggest surprise, I want to say. Um, of course, we had Logan Mankins getting traded to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for a fourth-round draft pick and tight end Tim Wright, who looked pretty good on his uh, playing time Thursday night against the Giants. And, of course, the big news coming out of Foxborough today is that Ryan Mallett has been traded to the Houston Texans. And you know what that means. Jimmy Garoppolo, the second-round pick who everyone or a lot of people were very upset that they drafted him, has turned into a little bit of a cult legend. I remind myself of Eddie Andelman yelling, bring in Bishop, because uh, <laughs> how much he loved Michael Bishop back in the late 90s. But Jimmy Garoppolo playing well and, and outseating Ryan Mallett, and Mallett was traded to the Houston Texans today for what was first originally believed to be a six-round pick. I've read reports now that it is a conditional seventh. Hey, they got something for him for a guy that, you know what, for four years hasn't done anything. But, you know, I've talked enough now, so we got to bring in Bob Snowden and see how he's doing. Bob did a phenomenal job today covering all the news as it happens, and I'm sure there's stuff happening as we're recording our podcast. What's going on, Bob? Well, it was a busy day as we prepare for the season, and the Patriots are doing just that and shocking all of us with some of their moves. Now, my biggest surprise wasn't a cut. Mine was the Mankins trade. I was just blown away when that occurred. You know, after analyzing it, it made some sense to me. And I know you were real happy that we got a tight end in response. So the pony backfield is out the window. We're back. Uh, with- I don't even <laughs> start with that, the pony backfield out the window. The pony backfield is going and going great. And you know what? I just saw something else. The Patriots have signed QB Bethel Thompson to the practice squad, a move, of course, because of the fact that they only have two quarterbacks on the roster, so that's big there. But, yeah, no, I think the Pony backfield is going to show its way uh, this season, especially with what we've seen out of uh, James White in in the final preseason game doing that same wheel route and a beautiful touch pass from our man Jimmy Garoppolo, and we've seen what Shane Vereen has been able to do. So I can see the pony backfield being live and ready. And you know what? Having another guy like Tim Wright, who was impressive in his first game in New England Patriots, a guy who played 45 snaps out of a total of 70 after coming over to the roster, um, looked pretty good, uh, has some moves. You know, he's about 220, 225, so he's not that big inline blocker. 
but he gives them another weapon. Yeah, and he is not going to be a blocker. Uh, he came out as a wide receiver, as as I think you just mentioned, and as a tight end, he basically is going to fill that Hernandez role. Whether he will play as much as Hernandez or not, I doubt. Uh, only because you're absolutely right. I was kind of tweaking you on the pony backfield. But this this team offensively has many different weapons, and we've talked about that, and I think they showed that in the preseason. Um, the, the, the big bugaboo, if healthy, obviously jumps out at us. But, but this team has a lot of weapons on offense. Uh, I just hope they can keep Brady healthy. The offensive line, when we ended last week's show, I think we we both ended with what was on our mind as the Patriots prepared to make their cuts. And both of us, our first answer was the offensive line. How is that going to shake out? Um, and as you look at the offensive now, now your your buddy, Mr. Stork, was in action this past Thursday. So it was nice to see him get some action. He made some decent plays. Uh I don't think he's going to start, and I think both of us thought if he had done the whole preseason or played the whole preseason, he actually had an opportunity to to knock out Wendell and, and uh, Connolly or and or Connolly. Um, but they're all there now, and the rookie who didn't do anything in all honesty in preseason that I think we were expecting a little bit from Jalapeno, um just really you know he he can be signed to the practice squad. By the way, everybody they cut past waivers, cleared waivers. So the opportunity of the, is there to sign players, some of whom I know you were high on. There was some that I felt like if they could pass waivers that, that they may very well still see some time with the Patriots. Josh Boyce is the one that surprised me by clearing waivers. What were your thoughts when he cleared waivers? I was surprised that he cleared waivers. I mean, he had some great measurables coming out of the combine in 2013. I mean, ran 4.3 in the 40, had a sub-7 three-cone drill, but never really got much. You know, it was, it was funny because earlier today I was starting our starting a new um, piece that I'm going to be having on CLNS Radio that will come out on Saturday mornings called Behind Enemy Lines, and I'll be taking the game film and looking at it and I started looking at the Dolphins and I started looking at you know plays that uh, were made in that game and he actually made a couple plays in that game where he did all right I mean that was it wasn't too long after that that he was hurting out for the season and finishing with nine catches but I thought uh, that they would hang on for him now I have heard that he is back on the practice squad so that's a good thing um, and you know what? I thought the writing was kind of on the wall uh, wall for him when they brought in Tim Wright because Wright is another pass catcher, and they're moving him into that uh, you know hybrid tight end slash slot receiver role, outside receiver role that we saw uh, Aaron Hernandez uh, flourish in for a few years here before he went all uh, you know gun happy, but. I saw the writing on the wall that I didn't think they'd keep as many wide receivers as they did, but it was still a bit of a shock to me because I thought for sure they would keep him on the roster until Tim's uh, served out his four-game suspension. But regardless, he is back on the practice squad, which is a good thing because he can stay with this team and learn and then, you know what, next year possibly uh, make a step forward in the Patriots' uh, off-season program, and then, of course, in training camp. I think the biggest thing fans need to realize, and as we are speaking, you and I kidded about this before the show, 
things we're saying right now may very well be outdated five minutes after we say it, only because there's so much action. I mean, last year, between the first original 53-man roster uh, and what was on the field on opening day, the Pats made 15 moves. So the, the probability that they're going to make more, like they've already claimed uh, defensive lineman Kelsey Quarles, who played at South Carolina, was, uh, was, was there with the number one draft pick, and hopefully he is half as good. But he was released uh, by the Giants. They also sound, uh, according to Mike Lloyd Cohen and Mike Reese, uh, defensive lineman Bruce Gaston off waivers from Arizona. They just released Chris White, which surprised me a little bit. Uh, so there's a lot of moves that are still going to be made. Uh, Belichick had his, his conference call Sunday morning and, and made the comment, we're grinding our way through the waiver wire process here. We'll see how everything comes together in the next few days. And you could see they were grinding through the waiver wire today and will be doing more. They still don't have a long snapper. Uh, we didn't uh, Rob Mikovich is your long snapper. Yeah, but do you really want one of your regulars out there doing it? I mean, he's a guy they're relying on so much on the opposite end. I think they'll sign a long snapper. I don't know oh, who I it'll agree. be. I think there'll be someone that, that gets waived again. There's a couple of names that have been thrown out there as potentials who have already been released by other teams. Uh, Kevin McDermott was waived Saturday from the 49ers. Uh, Charlie Hewlett... Uh, no, he was with the Patriots briefly earlier this offseason. There, there's a there, there'll be someone there. I just don't see them putting Ninkovich in that role unless it's an emergency role. I, I think, and not that Aiken could, you know, Danny Aiken could still come back. Yeah, I mean, he he went unclaimed. So my thought on on it, kind of when they released him, was all right. They're you know releasing this long snapper to keep Ryan Mallett on the off on the offense and on the team until they could work out some sort of trade. And they were able to do that, of course, today. So, yes, they don't have a long snapper now. And, of course, the two guys that they uh, they signed are on the 53-man roster. They're not practice squad guys. They are on the 53-man roster. And I think, Jeff, correct me if I'm wrong, when they claim someone off waivers, they have to put them on the roster. They can't put them right away on the practice squad. Exactly. Now, they, they have can to release actually... them again, and if someone doesn't claim them, then, if they're eligible, put them on the practice squad. But once they claim someone off waivers, they've got to put them to their 53-man roster. Yeah, in the off season, the way it works, and we're still in the off season. There's after a player is cut, there's 24 hours um, until they uh, clear waivers, and the waiver wire works in reverse order of the previous season's uh, finishing rank. So of course, the Texans had the first pick in the uh, in the waiver claims, and then all the way down to the uh, Seattle Seahawks who picked 32nd. So that that's kind of what it is. It's a reward system to try to try to help out the teams, the sisters of the poor out there, and uh, and get them better players. But when they if they claim a person off of waivers, they basically are taking the person's contract on. So a lot of times when you see bigger name players out there that get uh, that get cut with bigger contracts, you see them pass through waivers and then they become outright free agents. We saw that uh, a couple of years ago uh, with guys like Kyle Arrington. He was cut and went past through waivers. Uh, we've seen you know, Randy Moss go through waivers a couple times. Of course, he was claimed by the Tennessee Titans uh, after he was waived by the Minnesota Vikings back in the 2010 season. So 
a lot of things uh, are still fluid right now. You look and you say, oh, everyone gets excited about the 53-man roster. Well, let's be honest, the 53-man roster meant absolutely nothing <laughs> to this team as they continue to move on. The one place that I'm going to kind of look right now is that linebacker position because a lot of people, I've seen it all over social media, I've seen it in different chats and different forums that are sitting there saying, oh, you know, the linebacker core is pretty thin. They released another guy today, Chris White. Uh, Steve Buharnas, of course, as we mentioned at the top of the show, was released. He will not be re-signing with the Patriots. So they are really low on linebacker depth, at least in the, in the middle there, um, even though I believe that a Dante Hightower uh, could become a good middle linebacker, and you could see Gerard Mayo playing inside as well. But they are doing a lot of that hybrid defense now. We saw the other night that uh, Michael Buchanan was standing up in a 3-4 outside linebacker position. We know that Rob Ninkovich can play outside linebacker. Of course, he played there before they moved to uh, more of an even man front. And now Chandler Jones is starting to look like a very good outside linebacker rush and coverage. So uh, I'm not as concerned about that. We've seen them keep a ton of the defensive tackle prospects. And these aren't just guys that can play defensive tackle. But in a true 3-4 defense, they have the size to move out and play end, whether that be a Joe Villano or a Silva Salinga, a Chris Jones, or even first-round draft pick uh, Dominic Easley. When he comes about, he can move out to one of these end positions and really start to move. It kind of gives me uh, thoughts back to the New England Patriots when they were uh, drafting the likes of Richard Seymour and, of course, Ty Warren in the first uh, two rounds and teaming them with guys like uh, uh, tractor, big tractor trailer and, of course, Vince uh, Wilfork, and don't forget Teddy Washington. They had that big body in the middle who was uh, right now will, of course, be Vince Wilfork. And then they had a big, big bodies to the outside, and they, they counted on them setting the edge, and I expect that that will uh, move as the season comes, although I do believe they'll be very fluid between a three- and a four-man front, and, and, of course, using all their cornerbacks that they've kept. Yeah, and, and when you mentioned the defensive line, I'm kind of looking down what I believe is currently the 53-man roster, and if I'm counting correct, they now have 11 defensive linemen on the on the roster. Jones, Ninkovich, Moore, uh, Buchanan, Quarles, who they just signed, Wilfork, Sliga, Chris Jones, Milano, Easley, and Gaston. That's a lot of defensive linemen. So you're right that, that them having the flexibility – to move into that linebacker or go to the 3-4 uh, and do some of the switching that we really haven't seen in, in the last few years. Uh, we've seen a little bit more of it, but but they were kind of locked in on their defense, and they're making some dramatic changes on their defense and the, the style, and we've talked about that too on, on shows earlier this year, about how this year's defense we expect to be a little bit more aggressive because they do have some some more flexible bodies. I mean, right now on, on linebacker, they – they theoretically, and I know that's not in, in reality, but they only have four line, true, quote, linebackers, Mayo, Hightower, Collins, and Fleming. And, and again, unless I'm looking at this wrong, uh, a lot of those guys that are listed as defensive linemen are going to have to fill in, as you just mentioned. Yeah, and I would definitely expect that. Let's move on to that secondary, because that it looks to be a spot of... I mean, I can't remember the last time we actually said this, that it could be a strength 
for the New England Patriots. Now, we all expect such huge things out of Darrell Revis this year, of course, and all-world cornerback can be mentioned in the top three, and when he's really on his game, the best cornerback in football. So I'm excited to see how this kid, you know, puts it out. He's still only 29 years old. Who's going to start opposite him? They have a lot of options now. Malcolm Butler, the uh, kid out of Central Arkansas, who who was a no-name, played every single play, um, I'm sorry, every single game, for the Patriots in the preseason, and he started the second and third preseason game opposite of Darrell Rivas. Very excited with what he's seen there. He seems to not be mismatched, and he seems to be getting better. Um, he's got some good hips that move in and out during cuts following people, so that's good to see. They, of course, have Logan Ryan, and they have uh, Alfonso Denard before Brandon Browner comes back. And then that secondary the safeties, with Devin McCourty being the leader of the group, Patrick Chung has been kept, Nate Ebner has been kept, Tavon Wilson has been kept, Deron Harmon. So these are a bunch of moving parts, and we haven't even mentioned Kyle Arrington, who is that slot, you know, cornerback, that slot guy that can just do a little bit of everything in the slot, and that's a place I want to keep him as in the slot or possibly lined up as a safety next to McCourty. Because, again, in reviewing some film over the Dolphins this uh, week from last year's game in Week 15 when the Patriots lost, I watched uh, Kyle Arrington get absolutely burnt on the outside a couple times by Mike uh, Wallace. So let's keep him away from outside wide receivers. Well, in Belling to Belichick and the staff are high on Arrington but they know his limitations. I mean, if you see it, they must see it, huh? <laughs> I mean, come on. So I, I think Arrington is kind of a golden boy in their mind because of his flexibility. But you're right. On the outside, they don't need him on the outside unless injuries really tear him up again. There's no need with this team to put him on the outside now. They have enough flexibility at, at that cornerback position to really put a solid and, – and I agree with you. I think one of the best cornerback rotations – that we have seen in many years. Now, the season may start, and they may get blown out of the first couple of games, and we backtrack. But I, I still think this defense is going to be, at minimum, a top 10, and I think highly likely to be a top 5. He is going to be health. Uh, Mayo didn't play a down in the preseason. Now, and they defensively played pretty darn well when it was first teams against first teams or, or using A's to A's and, and lining up properly. So Mayo is, you know, obviously going to be one of their top players uh, at linebacker. I, there were a couple of players that made the roster uh, that both got the most snaps at their position in preseason. And preseason means absolutely nothing. I don't, I don't want to use snaps as a basis. But it's obvious that the, the team wanted to take a good look because these people were surprising them. One of them you just mentioned, Malcolm Butler. The other one was on the offensive line, Jordan Devy. I mean, he made the roster. He had more snaps than any other offensive lineman in the preseason. Obviously impressed them enough that they were able to let some people go thinking that he was ready to step in. My big question on that offensive line is, Who's going to step in for Mallet? And the rumors now are that uh, you know we're, we're going to move one of our other giants into the the guard position. What are your thoughts on on Volmer playing guard? 
well, you know, Ben uh, Volan from the Boston uh, Herald. He really, it was Howard, he's from the Herald, right? Yeah. Uh, I believe so. Yeah. So, sorry, Ben. He's from one of those <laughs> newspapers in Boston. Yeah, exactly. The rumor came out earlier today that they had talked to some of their veteran uh, offensive linemen after they made the trade of Logan Mankins to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers that they could uh, move one of them to left guard. Uh, and that would be Sebastian Vollmer. Now, I'm okay with it. The guy's a very large body player, but he has a little bit of speed. Of course, coming out of Texas A&M, uh, he was a tight end when he first came over from, uh, you know, Georgia. I'm sorry, uh, Germany. I don't know why I'm thinking Georgia here. We're not talking about the Bulldogs. with a G. What the heck? Yeah, exactly. We're not talking about the Bulldogs here, but. So we know he has a little flexibility. Now, also, Vollmer has had some issues with injuries in the past. Moving him into guard, he's less success, uh, success, success, successful. No, no, susceptible. Oh, you susceptible. I mean. Susceptible. There we go. There you go. Okay. Try to say that 14 times <laughs> fast. Yeah, exactly. So he's less susceptible to uh, getting injured on pulling, uh, you know, out and 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 trying to, you know basically stop big uh, outside linebackers coming in. So I could see him moving over there. That's going to give you Nate Soldier and Vollmer on the left side, and they'll be able to really uh, power attack there. And it moves Marcus Cannon into uh, a starting position at right tackle. Now, we've always talked about the fact that, you know, Cannon could move into a guard position. Uh, I've always thought his best fit was right guard. However, he did play extremely well at right tackle last year after uh, Sebastian Vollmer did go down with that uh, broken leg. So moving a, a guy like that in is basically getting your, your best players on the field. Now, we've all thought that Josh Klein would be the, the guy to step in as he was uh, you know, the rookie free agent last year out of Kent State who played uh, the second half of the Miami Dolphins game at left guard. And, of course, against the Baltimore Ravens started at left guard when Logan Mankin started at left tackle and held his own against some pretty good competition in the Baltimore Ravens. Still trying to figure out what's going to happen there. And you said earlier today that, uh, you know, Brian Stork uh, could have been the starter at center. I believe that as much as anyone. You know how much I talked about him. At the moment, I still think your best line, uh, and, and of course, I'm sitting drinking beers on, on Sunday when Bill Belichick's making out his, uh, his lineup, but I still think your best line right now would be a left tackle uh, of Nate Soldier, left guard either being Klein or Connolly, center being Wendell, and right guard being Marcus Cannon and keeping Sebastian Volma at right tackle. But we'll see what happens as things continue to flux a little bit, and they'll be tested right off the bat uh, by the Miami Dolphins with pretty good players uh, there. The Dolphins have a very underrated defense uh, that gave the Patriots a little bit of fits last year and got in Brady's face, so they'll be tested right away. And we did learn also this weekend that you can always trust whatever Bill Belichick says. As, as an example, he was saying... <laughs> Keeping three quarterbacks? Hey, we're fortunate we have three good players there. It's a good situation. And then about 20 minutes later, he traded <laughs> Mallet. So BB keeps it under his, uh, uh, under his radar or doesn't let anyone know anything that's going on. And I think we're going to find that all week long that, uh, as we talked about at the beginning of the show, there, there's a lot of flux still going on with this team. But, uh, you know, the roster as it stands right now, 
other than long snapper and how critical is a long snapper to a team? I'm not sure. I mean, it, it, it can cost you a game. Bad snap on a field goal, bad snap on an, a, a, an extra point, uh, bad snap on a punt. Those were all things that could cost you a game. And Belichick has always been so high on special teams and how important special teams are. So other than that long snapper role, um, I look at the roster and say, hey, you know, the bottom of the roster is the bottom of the roster. How many times does the 53rd player on a roster actually play? So last year a lot. Well, yeah, <laughs> but but it's last year they were up to like sixty four, yeah. sixty five. It wasn't planned that way going in, and hopefully we don't have that same scenario this year. But but normally that's almost a throwaway position. That's not, and many times it's a practice squatter who goes up and down a few times, and you know is there just in case on on game day. But if you look at the true starters on this team. There's still some question marks, but I'm I'm comfortable with this team going into the year. I'm comfortable that the offense will put up a lot of points and that the defense will, you know, play strong enough to hold teams off the board. I don't think we're going to see nearly as much of the bend-don't-break defense um, because of the aggressiveness and the style that we're going to have uh, based on the players that are there right now. And And when you consider Gronk hasn't played a down yet, you know this 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 team is Mayo hadn't played it down yet. Wolfork played very limited downs. I mean, a lot of the people we're going to rely on um, really haven't done much in the preseason. Have been kept so that they stay healthy. Dobson, I was going to mention that looked great. I thought for the, in the first game back, game four, a little worried about him playing in the fourth game, but he made that touchdown catch um, was a great catch. And, no, it was thrown a little bit behind him. Yeah. He might have got away with a little hand check, but oh, still, no. they let him play. Yeah, well, all those they, flags out there get away with us, something. Yeah, well, no, they let him play in the fourth preseason game, which was kind of nice. But that I, I've been excited about Dobson ever since you know the end of last year um, against the Steelers and the Miami. Uh, he didn't play in the Miami game, but against the Steelers where he absolutely started to really tear it up. And he's the type of guy that can really get downfield. And now that they've brought in, you know, Tim Wright to go along with Edelman and Amendola and Tompkins and Gronk and all the running backs that they get out there that can, you know, flex out and play all these different positions, they are multifaceted. They can come out in any personnel possible. I mean, they can come out in 22 personnel, two tight ends, two uh two running backs and a wide receiver and be in five wide. I mean, they could just do these things that are just unbelievable because they can come out with Gronk and, and, and Tim Wright and then have White and uh, and Vereen out there with, you know, Edelman. And then you're sitting there going, what, who, how are we going to defend this? Or, or if they got a guy like Aaron Dobson going deep, how are they going to defend this? So they have plenty of options at the wide receiver position. And, you know, something that looked like such a – Oh, weakness to the Patriots is every single Patriots fan that I saw on social media was begging for them to draft, you know, a, a big play wide receiver and begging for them to bring in, uh, you know, Andre Johnson or Larry Fitzgerald. You know, sometimes you don't have to do that. Sometimes you just have to sit and develop wide receivers and have them learn this offense. And, and I'm telling you right now, the way that they've kind of gone about, you know, developing Campbell Tompkins and Aaron Dobson, two guys that should catch a lot of balls this year and, and caught a few balls last year to go along with Amendola 
and Edelman. Very exciting things. And, of course, LaFell. LaFell looked very good in the preseason as well. The only thing I don't want to do is overhype right yet. We've only seen him in that one game. And I was happy. I looked Anyone at that game. Anyone who can and, catch 55 balls he, in Tampa Bay. <laughs> but he basically this year was, was going to be the third tight end. Uh, and... Was available. They didn't have to give up Logan Bankins to get right. They were unloading a salary. They wanted right. He fits in with the Patriots much better than he would have, you know, with the Bucks. But but I don't. Want, I just don't want to overhype him. But he's so much better than anyone we've seen in the preseason without Gronk. And and as a tight end, you, your eyes light up that there's someone else that can catch the ball. Um, and, and, you know, mentioning Mallet, and I know uh, I wrote about it, many others did too, about, you know, was it a money move or a, a power move or what? It, it was a money move. It was roster. You know, the guy was the highest paid guard in the NFL and his skills had slipped. Des- you know what? They had slipped. I, I I didn't realize this until, you know, I really started looking at this. This is a guy that gave up 11 sacks last year. So even if they have Josh Klein comes in and starts at left guard or uh you know, Volmer comes in and starts at left guard, if they give up 9 this year, it's better than than uh you know, we talked about uh with 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 Mankins. I mean, how many times have I come out and said that they need to get better in the center of the offensive line. And on the outside looking in, it looks like trading Logan Mankins away actually makes you weaker, but perhaps it could make them stronger. You got a 32 year old guard who, you know, from all apparent things was still playing very well. But then when you start looking at some of the offensive line game film, you start looking at, his lateral movement, he was still a great run blocker, but his pass blocking was Bingo. starting to slip. And and you saw that in the AFC Championship game where Terrence Knighton made him look like a, like a top. He was spun around and he just yelled, look out, Tom. And I again, I don't want to go out bashing Mankins because I'm a, no, I'm a no. big I mean, man. I, I think he's a Hall of Famer. I, I mean, but he is on the downside and maybe his career will be rejuvenated but Belichick is known, and the Patriots are known for letting players get away as soon as their value has diminished, not just financially, which was the case this time, but also their skill level. And they've never been afraid to make the moves that make people unhappy, whether it was Lawyer or Malloy. And I was listening to a show. Jeff, you may know this. I was listening to a show, and I forget which one it was, uh, and they were talking, comparing this move to the Malloy move, uh, and one of the points the the person made, and it was oh God, it was that uh, the lineman who used to be with Buffalo and then came to the Patriots. God, Freddie Smurlis. Yeah, and he it was on uh, one of the EEI shows the other yeah, day. Yeah, and and he was talking about when Malloy left, everybody was upset, but that Malloy had become a cancer in the in the clubhouse, and no one let that out. No one said that. But evidently, he was becoming a, a troublemaker in the clubhouse. And I didn't know that. Did you know that? Did you have any sense of that when he left? I did not know that. And I definitely don't want to put Logan Mankins in the same um, 
you know, spotlight yeah. there because I don't think Mankins had become a a um, cancer in the clubhouse. And the fact that nothing leaked about them asking him to take a pay cut over the over the summer, nothing leaked out there. Uh, the only time Mankins ever really said anything or did anything wrong is when he was holding out in the 2010 season for the first seven or eight games that, uh, you know, he really – was a bit of distraction. Well, this it, is guy, and even even then, when he came back, everybody shook and made up. Although he did call Bob Kraft a liar uh, and later on, he said, "Oh yeah. no, I never said that." But hang on, if you go back and see the quotes, he certainly implied it strongly, uh, and that the Patriots were not this team that everybody thought they were. But anyway, I, that's all history. All I'm saying is. Belichick's not afraid to make the move. He did it with Richard Seymour. He did it with Malloy. And now he's done it with Mankins. And I'm certain there's others I'm forgetting. And it always turned out pretty good. Probably the weakest of all um, from a turnout standpoint. I mean, they got great for Seymour. They got a first-round draft choice from Oakland, who was perennially a top-five draft pick. Um, and he never really was the same. His first year with Oakland, he was he was a pretty good player. But after that, Seymour wasn't the player that, that he had been either. Uh, and they got a first-round draft pick. Now, they blew that a little bit because they had options on either taking it that first year or the second year. And they ended up taking it the second year, which was not a good move because Oakland got a little bit better. But but I digress. Usually, Belichick knows what he's doing. I guess that's what I'm, I'm getting at. There are those that, that, you know, swear by him, and there are those that still insist – as a as a player personnel person, he is poor. As a manager uh, or a head coach, he is great. And when you look at the player personnel decisions, he's smart because he if he screws up, he gives up. He gets rid of the player. I mean, Boyce is a prime example. Uh, you know, he didn't try and ride him out. Uh, he was gone. This was a guy that was the what fourth round draft point, uh, pick last year, fourth or third, Jeff. I forget. He was a fourth-round draft. Okay, yeah. TCU. And, and they let him go. They uh, The other player they let go that you're not hearing anyone gripe about um, that was the high draft choice was uh, Biquette. Wasn't he a second-rounder? Uh, Third-rounder out of Arkansas. But, I mean, honestly, he showed nothing. No, I know. Three years but my here. point is Belichick's willing to, hey, I made a mistake. Let's not clutter up the roster with these guys. Oh, exactly. And, I mean, you know, it, it goes to show you that, Belichick does make mistakes. A lot of people, you know, get all upset and say that Belichick, the GM, has cost Belichick, the coach, you know, championships. I am not the type of person that actually believes in that, and it's not that I'm a Patriots toady or anything like that. I just believe that if you ha- if Belichick and Nick Casario weren't working well together and bringing in the right type of people, then last year when the Patriots suffered injuries to Vince Wilfork and Tommy Kelly and, and Mayo and Akeem Tlaib getting hurt for you know a good portion of the year and then having Devin McCourty miss a game and Sebastian Vollmer get hurt and Nate Soldier be out for a couple games. If he wasn't doing his job, they would have finished 7-9. and nine. But no, they go 12-4 and four with a ragtag uh, bunch of guys. They had, you know... Austin Colley catching passes and, and and Matthew Slater running routes in the in the AFC Championship game and they're there. They have a guy they picked up off basically off the scrap heap in Legarrette Blount, you know, 
dragging them on. And I look at I look at the the trade last year in the draft where they had the 29th pick, and this is the 2013 draft I'm talking about, and they traded it to the Minnesota Vikings, and the Vikings went out and drafted Cordelli Patterson, the uh, wide receiver out of Tennessee, and sure, Patterson you know, did pretty well. He had 29 catches. He had a couple kick returns for touchdowns and, and this, that, and the other thing. But in that trade, the Patriots ended up getting um, Jamie Collins in the second round. They ended up getting Logan Ryan, they ended up getting Dron Harmon, and they ended up getting the seventh-round pick that was traded along with Jeff Debs to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for LeGarrette Blount. And I ask you, without those four players, do they make it to the AFC Championship game? And and my money says no. Well, and when you go to last year and talk about depth and just backing up what you're saying, earlier I mentioned how important was the 53rd player. Hell, on last year's team, how important was the practice squad? Because that's where a lot of those players came from. Uh, that had not, you know, had cleared waivers once the Patriots let them go at the, in training camp. And yet a lot of those players made moves and were significant players, not just the number 53 guy on the roster, but they were bringing up players off a of practice squad. So we need to look at this year's practice squad. There are some players that, that have indicated they are not interested at all. There also are some players the Patriots have already signed. Uh, you mentioned Boyce. I hadn't seen confirmation on that. I had seen confirmation that he had cleared waivers. Uh, and, and you may be 100% right. I just hadn't seen that one. But, but there are a couple of others that supposedly have already signed. Jonas Gray. Uh, has reportedly signed with the practice squad, and he, you know, showed a lot of stuff in the preseason. I thought, and to be able to get him on the practice squad, I think, uh, you know, you, your friend, Mister Mister Brandon Bolton, um, I, I'm still like you, kind of befuddled by how he's on the roster since he did literally nothing in the preseason, uh, and I think he may be one of those that you don't see there for long. So anyway, Gray. Uh, has signed. It's been reported that he has signed on the practice squad. Uh, Jagarit Davis, um, the linebacker, has reportedly signed on the practice squad. But those two, and you mentioned Blunt, are the only three that I, I believe have actually already signed for that practice squad. But everybody else is eligible, and there's some players out there that, that you may very well see. I mean, the one that jumps out at me, and I'm interested to see what happens, is Roy Finch. Yeah, I'm very interested to see what happens with Roy Finch because he did clear waivers. Actually, everyone the Patriots cut did clear waivers, so any one of them could come back. Uh, Buharis and uh, your buddy there, Gallon, yep. have uh, have both said that they weren't going to be coming back this way. But the one thing that I want to say about Roy Finch is uh, I like what he brings to the table. I think he needs more seasoning. And that could be very good with him on the practice squad and keeping him on the practice squad um, and bringing him into into camp. Hopefully no one claims him over the year, bring him into the camp next year, allows him a full year in the, uh, you know, the offense to to practice and to learn the offense. Um, Jonas Gray, I was surprised, mildly surprised that they cut him. He led all Patriots uh uh, offensive players in touches in the in the preseason, and of course, as we said, preseason stats really mean uh, little to none. But I don't know why. I just I have a, an issue with 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 Brandon Bolden. I don't think he's a very good running back, and and you know I, I get refuted a lot of times by people that sit there. Well, yeah, but he ran for five point five yards per carry last year, and you know he had three carries for 
for 19 yards in, in, in his one game playing this year in the preseason. Well, I sit there and I realize that, you know, out of all of his yards last year, 73 of them came on two carries. So if you take that out, the guy was rushing for 3.4 yards per carry, and his, sure, he had three carries for 19 yards in the preseason. One of them was a 17-yard carry. Um, I'm not saying that he's terrible, but he's, he's, he's a jag. He's just another guy. Well, you at you one know, point he, last year, that I don't mean to bring back unhappy memories for you, said he was the worst player on the Patriots roster. Now, you, you can deny that now, and we'll go back to the Still think tape. he is. <laughs> but still I, I, mean, think I don't he think is. anyone really likes him. I don't think anyone does, other than the coaches, obviously. But I, as far as fans, and the fans don't mean squat when it comes to picking the final 53-man roster, obviously. But I, I, I just don't see what he brings to the team as that backup player, uh, other than every once in a while, he can break one. Um, and, and he can, and he brings the special teams value. Exactly. Of course, That's you know, the other. Belichick coming up through the ranks with Detroit, with Denver as a special teams coach, this is the type of thing that he looks at. So, yes, he plays on all four special teams, but I just look at him and I go, I don't see where he fits into this team. Last year, they tried to make him that... Oh, that, you know, Shane Vereen replacement uh, when when Vereen went down with the injury, and he wasn't that. And then this year, you know, they're gonna, they, they've are gonna they drafted James White, who could be that James uh, Shane Vereen replacement. I just don't get what they're doing here with keeping this guy on the roster when they could have given a guy like Jonas Gray a shot. Or, you know, I'm not saying, I'm not even going to go with bringing back Ben Jarvis Green-Ellis because I think his his time is done, but bringing in a different running back. Because obviously, the Patriots' wheels are going to run on uh, Stephen Ridley. Fumbles or no fumbles, he is their most talented back all around as far as running the ball. He can run inside, he can run outside, he's got power, he's got speed, uh, he's got a little bit of wiggle. So he's going to be that guy that's going to have to really attack. And looking back at, 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 again, looking back at film from last year's Miami game, and a, a feature that I'll feature on, on Saturdays, like I said, the Patriots were very, very successful running against the Miami Dolphins in that game that they lost 24-20. to They were able to do a lot of things with zone runs and draws and delays. And so I don't think you're going to see Stephen Ridley a lot to start the season, but when you bring him up against, uh, you, you know, the uh, um, Minnesota Vikings and the Oakland Raiders, I would expect to see Ridley carry the ball more. Week one against the Dolphins, I'm expecting them to spread the Dolphins out and get some of those skilled front seven people out there and run draws and run screens and run delays and zone runs with uh, with guys like White and Vereen. I expect Vereen to get a lot of touches week one. Well, and you talk about game one into the Dolphins, and I think that's a good lead-in. The Patriots have won 10 straight season openers. Um, the last one they lost, unfortunately, that was the one to the Bills, and I mentioned earlier that was the uh, the Malloy fiasco. when it, I was at that game. Oh. It was ugly. I was, it, was, it was very, very ugly. I was at that game. 
uh, 31 to nothing. It was the first uh, first trip we took up to Buffalo, and I go to Buffalo every year now. Um, but we went up there, and so you're the one. Yeah, well, I, I'm the one. I mean, they haven't <laughs> lost since I've been up there since, but uh, <laughs> but. You know what? That was a uh, that was a very that was the game after after that game. Um, you know, Tom Jackson. I was just going to say that. Yep. You know, they hate their coach. Mutiny. So, um, Mutiny is yeah. going to occur. They hate their coach. Exactly. So it'll be very interested to see exactly um, what happens because of the move from Logan Mankins. Now, I don't think that they hate Bill Belichick, but. Uh, that was the last loss that they had, and this Miami team is pretty good. Um, you know, they're not that far away. They were very close last year. Um, kudos to, to Philbin for keeping the team together, um, you know, along with uh, with everything that happened with Richie Incognito and Jonathan Martin last year. The problem is that they lost their last three games. They were in the drive-in seat after they beat the Patriots and lost their last three games. Yeah, they were in the playoffs. At, at they the were in the playoffs. They, they just the had Patriots. to win one game. Yep. Yeah. So well, but, and uh, I, you know, this this is, will be interesting because I agree with you. The big question mark on Miami is the offensive line, uh, and it's been a weakness for quite a while now. They've tried to fill the role. It'll be interesting to see whether they have. Uh, they got a, their offensive line has not played together much, but right at this moment, some of the Patriots haven't either. So it, it'll be interesting to see. I, I said months ago one of my concerns, and it still is, is the heat in the second half and how that impacts the Patriots. And I know the Patriots are practicing right now. It's easier to go, as I think Mike Reese mentioned a while ago, it's a lot easier to go to Miami this time of year only because you've been playing in the heat uh, and you've practiced in the heat. But there's no heat that is comparable to what Miami is. I'm sorry. When they played their games, they played in New York. Come on, they played in Foxborough. That doesn't have the heat that that Miami has this time of year. So everybody being in shape, and boy, if anyone can get a team in shape, it's again Bill Belichick. But but that worries me a little bit. Is is in the second half if the game is tight. Um, I could see this being a very close game, no matter what the odds are. I think the odds going in are like four and a half points right now. Uh, the Patriots are favored by four and a half, and because Miami's at home, that's actually the equivalent of a seven and a half point uh, spread. But I, I, I see this as possibly being a pretty close game because Miami has improved. Um, their running game, that's a key again for Miami. Uh, whether they'll be able to have any kind of a running game, they, they showed a a lot more in the last preseason. I forget all of the statistics. But, you know, Miami is, of all the teams in the AFC East, I think they're the most formidable. I, I think the Jets have actually, over the last couple of weeks, gotten weaker. Their cornerback situation is oh, terrible. Oh, that just hurts. Yeah. You know, in defense is their, quote, forte. Uh, they got a quarterback that still hasn't shown he can be an NFL quarterback, and now all of a sudden their cornerbacks, uh, quarterback, and now their cornerbacks are you know, disappearing on them, literally, and, and who knows what's going to happen with them. So I had thought they would be up there with Miami, but I've kind of lowered my opinion of the Jets, and I think Buffalo is still a struggling team. I think they'll be better, uh, but they still have a, a long way to go. So I, I, I still think the Pats, by far, are the overwhelming favorite in their conference. But this first game will be very interesting. If they win it, um, they tie the Dolphins for the second most 
opening wins in NFL history, which is quite a feat. You know, I would expect the Patriots to win, but this is one of the, the one of the games that I can look at and say, I don't know. You know, it could go either way. Now, being the first week of the season, hot down in Miami, going to be tough either way. But um, I, I, I don't know. I'm still, I still going to pick the Patriots on this one, um, and it'll be interesting to see how things go, Bob. And as we wind down on time here, I, I, I think we ought to kind of kick out and look at uh, look at the. Patriots and and really what we think that they can ultimately uh, ultimately do this year and 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 where they can go and 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 you know instead of going down the the schedule because that's not exactly uh, you know riveting radio just kind of look at it and decide uh, you know what what we think the Patriots record will be at the end of the season so Bob I'll let you go first well I'm and, I'm uh, still pretty much where I was and I hesitated because you my my original point when we first talked about this uh, a couple of months ago was. Who knows at that stage? Well, now they're the team that they're going to be are pretty close to it. And I look at the teams they're playing, and, I, you know, 12-4, and four, I think, is a reasonable expectation. 13-3 um, and three maybe, but I, I do see them winning 12 games. I, I, um, they possibly could slip to 11. 11, 12, or 13, any of those numbers are going to get them first place in their conference. Um, so I'm, I'm sticking with 12-4, and four, Jeff. Yeah, I've been, you know, I said on the on the post game show after Thursday night's game that I thought eleven and five, and I want to stick with my eleven and five, um, you know, rating there. I think they got some tough road games. They got a tough road game against the Chiefs, um, you know, tough road game uh, against the Colts, a very good team. Packers, that's a very tough road game, and then a West Coast swing the following week um, to go up against the Chargers. Any one of those games they can lose, uh, I, I can look at it, and I, and I say 11 and five, and I'm being cautiously optimistic. But I also did say on the uh, on the post game show on Thursday night that I believe they are, are Super Bowl bound this year, and I believe they will be victorious, and I believe it's going to be the Chicago Bears that they're going to play, and. I just I'm playing a hunch on the Bears. I just feel like this is the year that um, you know they, they move forward. They they did some nice things out of Trestment last year. As long as uh, Cutler stays healthy, and that's a big if. I mean, we talk about Danny Amendola staying healthy here and Rob Gronkowski, but Jay Cutler, if he ever stays healthy, the Bears are going to be a very good team. We remember back in um, when when the Packers ended up in the Super Bowl by beating the uh, Chicago Bears. It was Cutler that got hurt um, and, uh, and allowed the Packers to win that game. The Packers are a very good team as well, but I just have a feeling something about the Bears this year. I, I just I just feel that this is their time that they're going to get back to the Super Bowl. Well, and it all starts Thursday night with a darn good game. I mean, the, the first game of the year is that uh, Green Bay at Seattle game. So we'll get a sense of, of two of the, quote, powers. Uh, Can we bring back the replacement rest for that game? Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm hoping you you made the comment earlier, and I saw it this weekend, too, and was really surprised that the officials seemed to stop throwing flags, but they still were blowing them. There was one in in – I want to say it was the Patriots game. They didn't call that was so obvious. It was ridiculous. 
ridiculous. It may have even been the Dobson catch, but but it was like, man, the guy grabbed him and was holding as he caught, and there was no flag on the play. Now, it didn't matter, but I'm thinking, you know, all these ticky-tack calls you've made, and now there's one that was pretty blatant that you let go. So I'm hoping you're right, that they have checked it back to reality despite all the the – um, hoopla that they've made about how they're going to continue to do it into the season. Because I certainly, that's a good game Thursday night, and I want to see it be a good game, and I don't want the officials to be the difference in a game. Well, we'll definitely find out Friday morning what we're going to have for, for a season this year, because the last time that uh, the Packers and Seahawks uh, started out, we, we of course know that the uh, the uh, phantom non-pass interference catch, whatever it was in the uh, in the end zone that gave the Seattle Seahawks the uh, the victory. We don't want to talk about you know the officials on Friday morning. That's the last thing you want to do is talk about the officials Friday morning when the Patri- I'm sorry when the Packers and Seahawks play because that's going to set the precedence for the rest of the season. You're not going to be looking forward to Sunday's games as much if you realize that. Thursday night they call 25 penalties and it just becomes so painful to watch. I pray <laughs> that you know they let this happen. Now, uh, of course, I wrote an article earlier this week about uh, the rule that is kind of being looked at again and called more strenuously, the Mel Blount rule uh, that came into uh, into fruition after the uh, 1977 season, uh, and it started to uh, turn the favor into the. Uh, you know the passing game where you know it used to be that a, a defensive back and Blount was a very large, strong defensive back was able to you know manhandle wide receivers down the field and and you had guys like Lynn Swan who you know would handshuck and fight for the ball. You don't see that anymore. And it was after the 2003 uh, playoffs when the Patriots picked off Peyton Manning and the Colts four times that you saw the competition committee go out and make the rule change, enforcing a little more. And we saw Peyton that following year throw 20 more touchdown passes from 29 to 49 and throw for an extra 800 yards. You saw the same thing with Dante Culpepper. Now, no one's – Peyton Manning's a very good quarterback. I'm not going to take that away from him. Dante Culpepper wasn't exactly a great quarterback, and he threw 39 touchdown passes. There were a lot of penalties called that year. It was nowhere near the amount we saw in the preseason. But it just, you know, it, it, it gets me that conspiracy theory there. And, and, oh, come and on. every time that, you know, Peyton loses in the playoffs, they change the rule to make it easier for him. Uh, and not that it wouldn't make it easier for, you know, Tom Brady or Matthew Stafford or Aaron Rodgers. But, you know, it just, well, just it's look like at the, the, Just look at the offensive numbers. And we talked about this earlier, and I don't want to go out on, on my rant anymore. Well, what the hell was wrong with the offensive numbers last year that they even had to think about this? Anyway, Nothing. besides that. It's just yeah, sometimes, it, sometimes the defense wins. Yeah. Looking at the first week, and I know we're running, starting to run a little short on time, um, there's a lot of lousy games, but there also are some pretty good ones. We mentioned Seattle uh, uh, playing at home against Green Bay. One of the ones that surprises me when I, when I look at it and and maybe I'm looking at it wrong. New Orleans is only favored by three points at 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 Atlanta. Um, geez, maybe Atlanta is ready to finally have the season everybody thinks they are. Do you think Atlanta is? Yes, well, Atlanta. Listen, here's the thing with Atlanta. They they had a horrible season last year, 
the previous two seasons they were in the playoffs. I mean, everyone thought that they were going to uh, absolutely dominate last year, and then, you know, Julio Jones gets hurt, and, well, I've never been a big fan of Matt Ryan since his days here in Boston, at Boston College, but um, they're a good team. They're not a great team, but they're a good team, and it's at home uh, against a, a team that they always play tough. They always play the New Orleans Saints tough. That's a great matchup. You know, and that I'll tell you right now, that division is going to be one to watch because any of those teams can definitely win that division. When you look at when you look at Carolina, who uh, you know won the division last year, the New Orleans Saints, of course, with Drew Brees, we've seen what Atlanta can do, and even the Tampa Bay Bucks. Um, with Lovey Smith being their coach this year, I do think they're a year or two away, and you know I don't feel as they have a great quarterback. But they got Doug Martin coming back. They drafted uh, Mar- uh, Mark Evans out of Texas A&M. They've also drafted uh, the tight end you know that I wanted in the draft in Safari and uh, Jeffries, who's unbelievable um, out of Washington. So and that uh, absolutely made Tim Wright expendable, and that's why the Patriots got him. But uh, you know they are a good good team. Uh, on the rise. It's just a very, very tough division. Uh, one last thing that I want to bring up here, Bob, is, as we uh, as we bring the show to a, a close, uh, Michael Sam was uh, was released by the uh, St. Louis Rams. Thank you. Yes. The St. Louis Rams went unclaimed, uh, has not been placed on a practice squad right now. Of course, uh, you know, so much has been brought on Michael Sam because of uh, the fact that he's the first uh, openly homosexual player to uh, to be drafted uh, in the NFL. Uh, he's also now the first openly homosexual player to be um, released. You know, released in the NFL. But, uh, you know what, I, I really look at it and this is is nothing against Michael Sam, but he's not that special of a player. Um, he did was a co uh, SEC Player of the Year, but he never showed up in the big games. Uh, he showed up against lesser competition, and we saw that this preseason in games versus uh, you know the uh, the Packers and games versus the the Browns where he you know showed up, but it was against second and third and fourth uh, string players. Well, the highlight of his uh, preseason was sacking Joni quarterback. Come on. Oh, I wish I he mean. broke his leg. I can't stand that kid. <laughs> so, I, I mean, was, I, I don't my think... quarterback, I'd kick him in the face. I think everybody has accepted, hopefully, the fact that you make it or don't make it in the NFL based on your skills. And I think he's a prime example of that. Um, all eyes were on him. That had to be tough. Um, coach speaks highly of his professionalism during the preseason and while he was with the team, but the fact he didn't make it and no one picked him up, I, I say the same thing I said before the draft. If he's a good enough player, someone's going to grab him. I'll say that again now. Uh, you know, coaches look at all that film, even the preseason film, and if there's something someone sees that they think he can add to the team, he'll be on the team. If not, he's seen his last days as an NFL player, and the reason is because he wasn't good enough to make it. Exactly, and I fully expect him to get uh, a shot with someone's practice squad, and it could be the Rams' practice squad. Hell, it could be the Patriots' practice squad. I mean, but here's here's the one thing that, unfortunately for the kid, was going against him was the fact that trying to make it onto the Rams with their defensive ends. That's very, very hard. That is a very stacked defensive team in, in St. Louis. 
Yeah, so we'll, you know, we'll keep our eye on this week, and you're right. He may very well be picked up by someone. One other thing before we go, uh, and maybe I'm letting the cat out of the bag here. Stop me if I am. People can look forward to the CLNS uh, Patriots writers, uh, all our beat writers, putting together every week a, a picks column where we will make complete idiots of ourselves by picking, and I think we're going to pick against the spread if I saw the last thing. Yes, we are which, going to be picking against the spread. Which worries me tremendously because I usually do pretty good as long as it's not against the spread. Yeah, I'm kind of scared here. We're going to be picking against the spread. We're going to see what happens. A lot of good things coming to uh, the CLS Patriots uh, beat coverage this year. Uh, of course, I've shamelessly plugged my uh, um, myself the entire show yeah, with have. the uh, Behind Enemy Lines <laughs> segment, which will which will be coming up every Saturday before the games. Of course, we'll have uh, in-depth uh, post and uh, pre and post game. Uh, reports along with the post-game show immediately following every single Patriots game this year, uh, whether that's home or away, we will be there. We will have uh, live look-ins at the uh, at at the press conferences and all that other sort of stuff as we as we talk about the Patriots every game. But uh, we'll have great breakdown. We'll have the pick section. Um, and many, many other things. Of course, uh, Scott Baines' Twitter bag will be moving to Thursdays, and this is the final broadcast for the Patriots beat on a Sunday as real football kicks back off next week. Uh, we will be moving the podcast to either, uh, it looks like it's probably going to be Friday night when the podcast will be released to the uh, to the public, uh, you know, Saturday morning for you party party animals out there, the hungover crowd, as my buddy Rod likes to call them. You guys can download us uh, for free on Stitcher and on uh, iTunes by searching. You no longer have to search CLNS Radio. No, now you just search Patriots Beat, and you will find me and Bob and our smiling faces ready to talk about the New England Patriots. Uh, also, next week, it uh, looks like um, we're going to be having a joint podcast with our friends from PatsFans.com and, of course, the Patriots 4th and 2 uh, podcast in Steve Belicheri and Russ Goldman. Uh, we were hoping to all get together this week, but, uh, uh, you know, sometimes that can't happen. Well, Russ, Russ uh, is in mourning because Mallet is gone. Yeah, Russ, <laughs> I saw our buddy Murph t- uh, tweeting out there that Russ was uh, – pouring the champagne and firing up the minivan to bring them down to Texas. So that'll be great. So lots of good things happening uh, for the New England Patriots. Lots of good things happening on CLS Radio's Patriot Beat. Don't forget, log on to Stitcher, log on to iTunes, subscribe, rate us, give us reviews, whatever. If Hey, if you think Bob and I suck, you know, let us know we suck. <laughs> We're all right. Oh, wait a minute. If, <laughs> you may be all right with that. My feelings will be hurt. Well, Bob, you do suck. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I admit I'm old, and you. Yeah, and I'm. A, I admit I'm slow. So, so, all right. Well, for myself, Jeff Kane at Boston Fat Guy, and Bob Snowden at Snowden Bob. And of course, this is Patriots Beat at Patriots Beat on Twitter. Follow us along on Facebook as well, www.facebook.com slash CLSFans and don't forget to text on board to 22828 to get on board with CLS and get all the content that you need. Until next week, we'll see everyone later. Get on board, everybody. Have a great week.
for Internet Sports Talk Radio, CLNS Radio.